Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 382. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent Extra Dimensional. Heck yeah. This is a big one. We got a lot to talk about, so I want to dive right in because top of the news, top of the show, top of the pops, we've got two big trailers this week. First up is the official trailer for Marvel's Cloak and Dagger Season 2, which just dropped this week. We get to see Ty and Tandy using their powers. We get to see some of that mayhem and so much more. You can watch the trailer on Marvel.com. We'll make sure we link it for you in the news story. Uh, And you can check out a list of 15 things we noticed in the trailer and that you may want to check out in the trailer. That's on Marvel.com. Get ready to see the season premiere on Freeform coming Thursday. April 4th. Yes, and the other big trailer is for Marvel's Wolverine The Lost Trail, the first episode of which comes exclusively to Stitcher Premium on March 25th. Subscribers may have noticed we dropped it as a little bonus episode earlier this week on the feed, so you can easily hear it there or on Marvel.com. I recommend listening to it with headphones. Yes. Uh, Oh, definitely, definitely. Stick those headphones in your ears. Get the entire experience. Yes. And of course, the first season of Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night, is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear the whole season right now. It's it's great. All right. So Toy Fair wrapped earlier this week, and we're going to do a little bit about that for this week's big talk section with special guest and sort of universal heartthrob, Jesse Falcon. Yes, my birthday buddy and my initial buddy. Yeah. I did not get to hang out with, but you did. Indeed. Uh, He and I go through what Toy Fair is. Uh, We'll give you some like history behind it. Also, just I'm going to tell you about some of my favorite things that I saw at Toy Fair. That's a little bit later this episode. Cool. I went to Toy Fair a couple of years ago for another job and it made me feel like a little child again yeah and it was super super fun but you can't take anything home it's always yeah, a bummer yeah. like i want this and i want that and i want this yeah <sighs> anyway not, not like i have any more room for things in my house our interview this week is with sophia wiley who voices Riri williams in marvel rising heart of iron with that in mind and as black history month winds down we want to drop some primer info on ironheart who's a awesome character and had some fun putting this together but now on to things we're hyped about this week comma including news oh are you guys excited about marvel studios captain marvel do you also love cats ryan i do you do then this is the biggest week for you man oh man are you all in luck this week we've got some prime cat content Prime Captain Marvel content. Follow Marvel on Instagram for exclusive Marvel Meow mini comics by Japanese artist Nao Fuji, starring cats, 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 along with your favorite Marvel characters like Spider Man, Ms. Marvel, and more. Visit Marvel.com for a few of the variant covers that will also be featuring panels from those comics. And don't worry, I will link you up when we post about the show later this week. It's great. It's so exciting. It's so fun. And with that in mind, If that's not enough cat content for you, and really, truly, it's never Can you ever have enough cat content? No. No. There's a brand new Marvel Studios Captain Marvel featurette all about the true star of the movie, Goose the Cat. Also, it features Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, they might be. They might be in it. But yeah, Goose, very prestigious. Yes. Thespian. Feline (laughs) thespian. An old sparkle fist herself is also hitting Marvel Games on March 8th, the same day the movie comes out. A whole slew of Marvel Games will introduce Captain Marvel to Marvel Strike Force, Marvel Future Fight, Marvel Battle Lines, Marvel Puzzle Quest, and Marvel Contest of Champions. You can be Carol Danvers! 
Yeah. Be her. Just go play the games. Yeah. They're, they're there for you. Our sister podcast, Women of Marvel, has a really great interview with writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, an editor who, well, he was editor at the time and is now high muckety muck creative poobah. That's right. Stephen Wacker. Uh, the two of them back then, and I think it was like 2012, were instrumental in making Carol Danvers into the mighty Captain Marvel we know and love right now without the two of them really doing the work on Carol. And there were, of course, great stories before that. There's a great run of Ms. Marvel previously to that. But what they did, uh, what Kelly Sue and uh, Steve did for Carol, we wouldn't be where we are with the movie coming out without that. I'm so excited yeah. about all of this. This yeah. is so great. Oh, but wait. There's so much more to get excited about because this week there was a neat sort of meeting with comics publishers and retailers. And that means secrets revealed. <gasps> Don't worry, we're going to tell you some things, though. Yes, a.k.a. a ton of comics announcements came out this week. We'll have articles and images of all this stuff on Marvel.com. But quickly here, because it's really neat stuff, we've got gorgeous variant covers celebrating the 25th anniversary of Marvel's coming. There's a new Black Cat series on the way by writer Jed McKay and artist Travel Foreman. And holy moly, that is terrific, terrific news. They just tore it up on the digital Daughters of the Dragon series. Honestly, that was one of my favorite books so far in the last like couple months, and this is one of my most anticipated comics of 2019 right now. We have the next creative team on Savage Sword of Conan, and that is writer Meredith Finch and artist Luke Ross with covers by David Finch and Frank D'Armada. Uh, Luke's my homeboy, and his sort of broody, dark realism style is kind of perfect for Savage Sword. Very cool. And one of the greatest gifts that Into the Spider-Verse has given the world is a bigger appreciation for Spider-Ham. And in June, Peter Parker takes center stage in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual by Jason Latour, friggin' Phil Lord, and Chris Miller. And artists, more on that book soon. Yeah, it's I'm so jazzed. I remember giving the tour of Marvel to Lord and Miller. That was like, recently. Yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> December. Like, oh, was it? I Man, think so. time flies when you just put all your life in boxes and then take it all out. Yeah. But I was giving them the tour and introducing them to all the different people. It was like all the editors were coming like, hi, sirs, I would like you to write comic books for us. Uh, and it like happened over and over and over again. And I remember like at the end in the spider office being like, we really would love you to do something. And here we are. Here it's we are. all coming true. It's it really happened. cool. This is how the secret works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask for it, it, you put it out in the universe, then Phil Lord and Chris Miller will show up in your office and then... That would yeah. be the greatest. They're sweethearts, too. Yeah. Anyway, Spider-Verse fans will also be able to get their hands on a Spider-Man Noir complete collection coming soon this year. So, you know, if people want to read these stories that inspired the film, it's, it's all right out there. We've got so much more in this episode. Up now is This Week in Marvel History. Let's dive into the week of February 22nd through 28th in Marvel history. Going back to 1951, February 28th, Space Squadron number one. I feel like that's how you'd have to say it. Uh, Space Squadron number one comes out, which was kind of an early attempt at our Buck Rogers sci-fi action stories. I put it in here just because it was, it was neat. We have done so many space books and we would do you know Star Wars later. This was a very early take on it uh, by George Tusca and Joe Manili on the art team, which is really cool. February 27th, 1962, Eddie Kubert is born and he's done tons of work for Marvel whether it's Origin, the, the landmark Wolverine story, Marvel 1602 runs on Captain America, Kazar, Ghost Rider, Thor, the Ultimate Books, and a great run on X-Men in the 90s. His brother is Adam Kubert, you know, who's currently doing amazing work for us, has been doing amazing work for us as long as Andy, and son of Joe Kubert, a 
true comic book legend. Uh, so he is part of a comics royalty kind of family. And also one of the best 80s inspired last names, even though they came way before the 80s, but Qbert. <laughs> it's all I can think about whenever I see that very legendary name is uh, the 80s video sure. game, which was one of my faves yeah. way back in the day. Uh, February 24th, 1999, Earth X number one comes out by Jim Kruger. John Paul Leone and Alex Ross. If you've never read it, listeners, it's a really neat alternate reality take on the future of the Marvel Universe. It's got really twisted and weird characters. The Spider's Man, Captain America, who's like wearing a toga that is the American flag and he's all brutal looking. There's the really cool designs that Alex Ross did for the series and it would spawn uh, a bunch of other series, Universe X, Paradise X, a bunch of other spinoffs over uh, a couple of years. Really cool stuff. You can read it all on Marvel Unlimited. February 28th, 2001, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up number one came out by Brian Michael Bendis and Matt Wagner. I put this one on here because it's a great series of Spidey teaming up with a different character each issue with different artists. It's really fun. This was at the early days of the Ultimate Universe where we were sort of figuring out what we were doing. So some of these stories, they conflict with other stories later in the Ultimate Universe, but they're just cool. It's really neat to see different artists doing Marvel characters in this run. So all that on Marvel Unlimited. February 27th, 2002, Cage Number 1 by Brian Azzarello and Richard Corbin comes out, and it's a Max book. It is dope. It's got, like, this iconic, a bunch of iconic covers by Richard Corbin of, like, Luke Cage's teeth or the, uh, the what do you call this? Knuckles? When you, like, yeah, I guess it, it says Cage. It's like a... Oh, knuckle dusters. Yeah, knuckle dusting. Yeah. It's really good. Richard Corbin... Like legendary comic book artist whose most most of his work was doing really weird horror stuff in the seventies, and he does this sort of like badass black exploitation book. Uh, February twenty third, two thousand five, New Avengers number four by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch introduces Maria Hill. Ah, oh, welcome Maria. Yeah, so she would then go on into the TV shows and the films and so much more. February 22nd, 2006, Storm Number 1 by Eric Jerome Dickey and David Yarden. Uh, I like this one because this, this series tells the origin of Storm and T'Challa's love, which, you know, has it flourished, it fell apart, it flourished again, then he went off into space to do the whole thing. It's a really cool series. February 25th, 2015, Spider-Gwen solo comic launches by Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez. It is just so good. That one's super important to me. I actually got to talk to Jason Latour recently about Into the Spider-Verse, and we talked a little bit about how he brought Gwen back and gave her her solo series. And I just, spite, Gwen Stacy's very important to me as Spider-Gwen and Go Spider, so... This one gives me the warm fuzzies. Yeah. And just, we have a split spideries, little warm fuzzy spiders. <laughs> and we have a great Spider Gwen Go Spider series going on right now by Sean McGuire and a bunch of great artists. So definitely check all of these out. And then finally, February 28th, 2018, Lockjaw number one comes out by Daniel Kibbesmith and Carlos Villa introducing Lockjaw's family and solidifying his origin. And it's just a fun book. When I first started here at Marvel almost exactly one year ago, and I realized that there was a comic just for Lockjaw, I. I sought it out like on day one because, you know, we're very excited about the Marvel cat content, but I'm, I can't, you know, deny my Marvel dog content. Of course, of course. Uh, so that's this week's This Week in Marvel History stuff. Speaking of history, we will be releasing our February episode of This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, touching on the 
Fabulous 50s uh, of me and C.B. Sibolsky talking about some 1950s issues of Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish. Our march to MURC is going to be about the 1960s, but we're still deciding on books. If you have suggestions or requests, tweet me at Agent M and at C.B. Sibolsky and uh, we'll, we'll think about it. It's very fun to follow these from the very beginning. Definitely. And the 60s are such a huge part of all the so many of the superhero comics from the beginning. Heck yeah. All right. Talking to comics, uh, this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List, our top picks were Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter, number two. That is one of our Marvel digital originals. It's so good, you guys. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Uh, Return of Wolverine, number five. Venom, number 11. And Wolverine, Infinity Watch, number one. Make sure you subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. Watch video versions on Marvel.com. So tell us about Toy Fair. Oh, boy, Toy Fair. So we're going to talk to Jesse Falcon about what Toy Fair is, some of the things that he's hyped about. But Toy Fair is great. You walk around and you look at toys and someone's like, hey, would you like to put these toys in your store? And I'm like, I don't have a store. I'm just here taking pictures. I'm just going to stand here and play with them for a little while to test them out and make sure they're good for public consumption. Exactly. They're showing off these toys to people who own stores or big chains or retailers, whatever it is, in addition to the press, to say, hey, you should put this in your store. People are going to want to buy these. And and now we're going to give you a little chat with Jesse Falcon to give some background on what Toy Fair is. Hi, Jesse. Hey, what's up, buddy? How, How you doing? doing? You're tying your shoes. I'm so proud of yeah, you. Yeah, I can do it now. You're a big guy. It's only took me 48 years. No, it's wonderful. Uh, you are in town for Toy Fair. I am. Yes. We need to know. Jesse, what do you do for Marvel and for Disney? And then what the heck is Toy Fair? Great questions. Uh, Toy Fair is an international toy convention that is kind of the press show for all of the toy companies in the world to come and show their wares, uh, not just to the buyers who are placing orders to get these products in at retail, but to show them to uh, the press and to influencers and to get the word out about these cool new toys that are coming this year and next. And I have been working for Marvel for 25 years, and I've been working primarily in a toy development capacity. And I'm now working in Glendale for Disney Consumer Products, and I oversee all the Hardlines product development for Marvel Worldwide. Hardlines means uh, action figures, statues, things made of hard plastic. Anything that's not fabric, basically. Right. <laughs> that's soft lines. <laughs> Look, th- but those terms make sense to us. Yeah. I just want to make sure I know, that no, a, a, a listener understands, like, what is this like some militant thing yes, inside no, the company? I think, uh, I think uh, the last time I was here, I, I used that term, and it's a super inside baseball f- reference. How long do companies, or even like you on, on the, the product side, internally for Disney and Marvel, like, how long do you work towards this Toy Fair date? It depends. I mean, the truth is some some opportunities uh, have to be fast-tracked. The typical life cycle of an action figure is about 18 months to get it designed, to get it sculpted, to uh, cut steel, get it manufactured and debug everything. And also the process of, you know, aligning that with, you know, most a lot of action figure lines are aligned around entertainment property. So most companies like to have stuff out kind of in that theatrical window, if it's we're talking about theatrical. But there are other things. Uh, we were just talking about one, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is super secret. Super can't, secret. Can't talk about, but it, oh my God, it's going to be so much fun yeah. when it comes out. <laughs> um, that could take up to two years, uh, you know, or even longer sometimes. I mean, if you've got a good idea or if you have a cool mechanism, sometimes it's a matter of just finding the right way to apply that technology or art to uh, like a brand or... or um, an intellectual property in order to get it out 
into the public. Yeah. You are obviously a big Marvel guy. You're also a big toy guy. I've been to your house. You have a wonderful collection of, That's right. you of were there. weird ephemera <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is your prized <laughs> possession in terms of like toys, statue, that kind of stuff? Uh, um, it doesn't I, even have to be Marvel, just in general. No, I have this uh, Mattel Godzilla that was from the Shogun Warriors line. It was, I think, 1976. Uh, so Shogun – Mattel had this great imprint called Shogun Warriors, and they had these uh, – two-foot-tall plastic robots of Mazinger and Gaiking and a bunch of other really famous Japanese uh, robots. Wonderful, that, famous Japanese. Yes, yes, that have uh, you know years of comics and TV shows behind them and multiple toys in, in uh, all over the world. And then a late add to that line was Godzilla. And it was, it was kind of weird because you had all these like superhero robots and then they're like, well, who are they going to fight? Well, they had Godzilla. And I was the biggest Godzilla fan as a kid. And... Uh, so I, I have a couple of those, and when that toy came out, I remember very clearly. I got the toy. I spent my own money. I got it. it was a thirteen dollar toy. I got it for nine bucks because my mom convinced the people at Meyer Thrifty Acres that the display Godzilla that only had one hand and no tail, my son could buy for nine dollars. So I had this like busted up Godzilla <laughs> that I painted uh, red on, so he looked like he really got into a big scrap. Oh, so I was because nice. like, I couldn't buy extra parts. It was the seventies, and. Um, I immediately got to work on drawing designs for King Ghidorah, Rodan, Mothra, all the other toys that I wanted to see in this kind of form factor. I sent it all to Mattel, and they sent me a letter back when I was a kid. I don't know this story. Yes, they sent me a letter back, and they it basically said, hey, kid, don't write us anymore. Uh, <laughs> leave the toy designing to the pros. And my parents thought it was so funny that they left it on the fridge for years, and I would just see that thing, and just my head would get hot. Like I was just be like, God, I'm about to get them. And then a year later, we go to Toys R Us, and they are selling Rodan, and I was like, Aah! I was like, Oh, you took my idea, Mattel. And it's funny now because I work with the Mattel team, and they couldn't be lovelier. But uh, I think that that was like my first four. I started at that point in my life to make my own toys. There was a show called Battle of the Planets that I loved, but there were no toys for Battle of the Planets. So I had customized G.I. Joe action figures and Star Wars action figures and made them into the characters that I wanted to see. And I built out of balsa wood a giant fiery phoenix, So, which was the ship that they rode around in. And uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of my past, my start into making toys. Yeah. And I've That's been doing so cool. it ever since. <laughs> Uh, I remember there was one year at San Diego, I was sitting doing work at one of our tables uh, at the show floor, and you come over and you just start plunking down kaiju in front of me. Just like, look at what I got. And you're just so excited. You just spent hundreds of dollars yes. on amazing toys. What do you collect these days? I still, I, I, there's a line that Bondi makes of six-inch kaiju figures, and they have every different character that's ever been, you know, a man in a big rubber suit, as well as you know, any of the new interpretations of those characters. I, I, I will, if I see those things, I will, I will pick them up. Uh, what are some of the things you're excited for people to check out? Because by the time people are listening to this, it'll be everywhere. We'll yeah. post it about it on social media. We have an episode of Earth's Mighty Show about it, all kinds of fun stuff. What Marvel stuff are people going to be getting hyped for? We're, we're in a lot of different places this year. The, 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 the team that I work with, the licensing side, and Glendale has done an incredible job at making sure that we have partnerships with really most companies. So um, we, we are we're really putting a lot of product in the marketplace. But we have a, an incredible brand. I mean, it's it's really crazy to think about the growth of this company in the, the 25 years that I've been here. Because I was talking to Mr. Fondacaro this morning, and he was saying that you know, and he he made this point. I never considered this, but he's absolutely right. The animated X Men show 
basically saved the, the company because mm. that show was so popular that Toy Biz made, you know, that had monetized and, and made so much money with that they were able to buy Marvel out of bankruptcy and then all of these movies started to happen and we made our own movies and, and now we're it, all cascaded around that. So, um, uh, but the things that I'm looking forward to, Mezco's 112 line mm. is really fantastic. Um, the volume of detail that they put into these characters. I mean, they're tiny Hot Toys figures. You know, they're six-inch scale, hyper-articulated with fabric costumes on top of them. They have, um, like, layered, layered silkscreen printing. It's really depth on the fabric components. Just tons and tons of gear in there. Those things are fantastic. What I love about them as well is they are comic-based. Yeah. You know, and so you're... Some movie stuff, but mostly... But, like... There's a cable. There's these wonderful Wolverine figures, and like I haven't seen the new ones. I'm I'm excited to see them. You can get these really hyper detailed these figures of characters direct from the comics, which is real neat. And not just that, the thing that Mez and his team have done really well, I think, they've kind of done their interpretations of these characters. You know, you look at it and you know it's Wolverine, but they've added details and components to the costume that make that look for that character kind of ownable to Mez and his line, which is awesome. I love it when companies do that. Square Enix um, is another company that does that. They have a, they have a, a license with us, and uh, they have built their own looks for our characters. It's kind of what they do. If you go back and if you go and look at their showroom, you'll see a bunch of recognizable characters, but you'll see them in a way that you've never seen them before because they've interpreted them through their own kind of prism. So, But the other thing I'm really looking forward to is to see the totality of the Legends line at Hasbro. It's a line that I'm very excited about. It's done, done incredibly well the last couple of years. So it makes me very excited to see that that line does well. Yeah. And then also, I'm excited to see the things that I don't know are there. Like, that's the kind of fun about a trade show. And in, technically, this is a trade show. But like Comic-Con or a show like this or Design Con or even D23 are all great New York Comic Con are all great shows because there's always that expectation of the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, the things yeah. that you're like, oh, what am I going to get surprised with this year? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesse, it's always a pleasure. Buddy, it's, it's great seeing you. you. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back again to talk about something. Can't wait. It's great. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to sweetheart Jesse Falcon for coming on the show. He is always welcome and I'm sure he will be back. Um, so, I walked around, saw a bunch of the Marvel stuff. So in no order, some of my Toy Fair faves are uh, as follows. We started at Hasbro, and I'm torn on my favorite Marvel legend to pick for this. There were so many cool ones. They have these 80th anniversary figures, which are dope, especially this Juggernaut Colossus set where you know Juggernaut has replaceable heads, and one of his heads has a helmet that's all torn up, which is neat. The big three Avengers are gorgeous, super-duper detailed. Like You can read all the the words on the side of Mjolnir, and it's tiny. But you can read it. They've done it in such a, a wonderful way. But I'm most hyped for Beta Ray Bill and the Toy Biz-style Cyclops. This, they actually took the packaging of the 90s Toy Fair action figures, which were so important to a lot of kids at that time, and recreated it, but plussed it up for the modern ones. It's, it's really neat. Bondi has a big display, and they have this sort of grouping this line called Tamashi Nations, maybe my personal favorite line to collect, especially non-Marvel toys from. Uh, I have many of their Dragon Ball and Godzilla pieces, and they do an amazing line of samurai-style figures called Misho Manga Realization. And these, uh, they do it for Star Wars, but they do they do a bunch for us. 
Yeah, I remember them from one of the Comic Cons, and they're just so cool to yeah. look at. Yeah, yeah. We, we did some stuff giving away Deadpool during San Diego, but they showed a bunch of them, including wildly cool Wolverine and War Machine pieces, which I think were brand new, just shown for the first time at Toy Fair. Funko had a huge part of the show floor with tons and tons of pieces for so many different companies and properties and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it, it's tough to pick a favorite. There's a, a pop that was Miles from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in his like makeshift first costume with his like sneakers and the Spider-Man costume with the cape on is really, really cute. There are some neat venomized pops. So Captain America, Hulk, Spider-Gwen and Iron Man, but like with venom like venomized so they all are really scary and gnarly is is wild and which of these characters have actually been venomized in the comics i think they all might have been or at least in the on covers because we did a bunch of covers and we did the venomized series couldn't tell you what were specifically in story but i think they all had covers at least because i've been doing a lot of venom stuff lately for dot com and all i'm thinking about is now i'm thinking about cap being venomized but i've also been thinking about the punisher being venomized like yeah, there's a uh, one of my favorite comics is a what if, of course. What if Venom possessed Punisher from the '90s, and you've <gasps> it, it has <laughs> like my favorite one of my favorite moments that is just burned in my brain. So Punisher gets the Venom symbiote, and it, he realizes it allows him to do so many things because like Venom can you can sort of make it into weapons, so he can he, instead of shooting web. Like Spidey's webs, he's shooting bullets. Yeah. And uh, you could also change how you look. So he just guises himself up as a businessman, goes to uh, Fisk Tower and says, I have a meeting with Wilson Fisk as this businessman, goes up to the top floor to see Wilson Fisk and murders the kingpin in his office. He just shoots him and it's over. I I, remind me it. and I'll bring it in. It's on my spinner okay. rack at home. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Finally, back to the toys. We spent some time at Diamond Select Toys seeing uh, my good friend Zach Oat over there. And DST have they have mini mates. They have Marvel Select action figures. Really cool salmon in there. But for the statues, there's a Disco Dazzler that is just lovely. A brutal looking Punisher. Like it looks like John Romita Jr. art. It's just thick and angry. And you're just like, ah. Probably uh, a great jawline. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then they had two Marvel's Spider-Man statues of the Advanced Suit Spidey and Rhino inspired by the PlayStation 4 game. Those are my favorites over there. Uh, so I posted pictures of all of these on my Twitter. Uh, but, you know, we were talking about toys. And did you know you could be earning cashback rewards for buying toys? How? Well, that's with the Marvel MasterCard. Learn how at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. You could earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard, and 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn, and enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. You can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs, too, like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. Now on to, uh, we're going to get to our interview in a minute or two, but I wanted to talk about Ironheart a little bit. Uh, We're going to be talking to Sophia Wiley, who voices Riri Williams in Marvel Rising Heart of Iron. But I thought this was a good opportunity, seeing how it's also Black History Month, to talk about one of our coolest African-American heroes right now, Ironheart, who's Riri Williams. Yeah, and who doesn't love another smart, genius woman in the Marvel Universe? Heck, yeah. yeah. Some 
Quick details about her. Riri Williams, she makes her first appearance in Invincible Iron Man number seven, which came out March 2nd, 2016. It's a good anniversary for today in Marvel history, which is coming up real soon and this week in Marvel history. It's a short little one-page cameo at the end of the issue where we see her working on a suit of armor, annoying other students at MIT. You just get her name, her first name is just Riri. Um, that issue is by Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato. She shows back a couple months later in issue number nine. We see her actually suit up. She even gets the cover in her first, like her personal quote unquote Mark One. Though there's a joke on the cover about she doesn't have a superhero name yet, which is really neat. She shows up here and there a little bit until she meets Tony Stark towards the end of the series, who takes her under her, takes her under his wing a little bit. It's cool, but... It's the next volume of Invincible Iron Man, issue number one, which came out November 9th, 2016, where we really start to know who Riri is, what she's all about, by Brian Michael Bendis and Stefano Caselli. They give us, uh, through the first couple of issues, Riri's origins, growing up in Chicago, being a genius. Like, there's a kind of heartbreaking scene in that first issue. She's five years old. She's distant. She's... She doesn't connect with most people because she's so far advanced and they're trying to figure out what to do, how to help her. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, She feels out of sorts with the world, you know, even way back. And then you learn how the tragic losses of her stepfather and really particularly her best friend Natalie shaped her and drive her to become the hero she will later become as Ironheart. Her red and gold costume, which, you know, is on the cover of Invincible Iron Man number one. We don't actually see that right away. That shows up, I think, in issue number three. But first we see her in her, again, her kind of Mark I silver armor, sort of mirroring those things about Tony Stark, but in her own way. It's really neat. And then she also gets a quippy little Tony Stark AI because these suits are so advanced, they need their own AI. You know, we see that Tony having Friday or having Jarvis or having, you know, a bunch of others. She gets a Tony, Tony Stark, Stark AI. It's like choosing the voice for your Garmin. <laughs> she chose Tony Stark. That's so perfect. Yeah. The first two years of her comics are a lot about her learning what it is to be a hero, getting involved in all kinds of Tony Stark, Michigas, and ninja stuff. And uh, so she's really building up Invincible Iron Man number six. She's invited to join the champions, which is a really important thing as a young hero with this team of other young heroes and their particular mission of trying to be different from the Avengers, being a force for good, a force for change. There is a really intense moment as a big character piece for Riri is when they go up against Thanos, but she's nearly killed. Like Thanos picks her up and basically just breaks her armor down and tosses her to the side. And it completely rattles her because she's, been such a you know gung-ho hero she felt so powerful and strong and she sees that she could be taken down like anyone else so brutally yeah it's really intense really Mm. really well done and it still sticks with her to this day which i think is a good character piece that we explore that's always one of my favorite things about marvel heroes is when they do experience something like that when they do realize that yeah i've got superpowers but i'm not invincible i'm not immortal most of them are not and I think when you're so young, too, and you really think you're mm-hmm. immortal, you when you think you have so many years left in you, and then it's like, boom, one thing, one thing, one day, one moment can just remind you it's not as easy as you think. Yeah. 
she gets new armor in the new slash current champion series, which has a different color scheme, different capabilities, more in line with her personality, which I think is really fun. Uh, and now she is such a crucial key part of the champions, which is great series. Definitely read that. Jim Zub uh, and company doing great work on that. But what I really want to make sure we talk about is the current Ironheart series, which is Absolutely fantastic. It is written by Chicago native Eve L. Ewing. Look, I love Brian Michael Bendis. I dug Brian's work. And Riri would not exist without Brian. I mean, Brian and his wife have this wonderful, diverse family, you know, through adoption and through their, you know, all these different ways that they have built their family. And he wanted to represent, he wanted to show them characters that would reflect them. And Riri is one of these characters and she's awesome. So, Riri wouldn't exist without Brian, but I want to say that I believe that Eve is really, really fleshing out Ironheart and her world in, in really cool ways from the, the trauma that she is dealing with constantly and the difficulties around that, you know, what she deals with mentally from not just the Thanos thing, which she does touch on, but also like the tragedy that she's from her upbringing and yeah. all this stuff, you know, it's. Eve really dives into that in, in wonderful, thoughtful ways. Uh, but she's also building out Riri's friends, her family, uh, her awesome new AI, which is based on her friend Natalie. Oh. Yeah, it's really, really cool. The new villains, big mysteries, uh, that feeling of the Chicago-based stuff that comes from an authentic person who is from Chicago. And the art by Luciano Vecchio is just Fantastic. Yeah, the other best part of Marvel Heroes is their humanity. And I think Eve Ewing is really lending just something special, something so personalized and unique to Riri yeah. from her perspective. Heck yeah. So she's in great hands right now, Riri, between you know champions and uh, in the pages of Ironheart. So really, really cool stuff. Uh, you could play as Ironheart in a number of our Marvel games, which is always really cool. And of course... You can see her in Marvel Rising Heart of Iron coming soon to Marvel HQ on YouTube. And uh, Riri will be voiced there by Sophia Wiley, who we're going to hear from right now. Hi, Sophia. How you doing? Great. How are you? Doing real, real well. Um, so on This Week in Marvel, one of the things I always like to learn is what is your Marvel origin story? Like, how did you first get connected to Marvel characters and comics? Was it the cartoons? Was it a movie? Was it bedsheets? What was it for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the first Marvel origin in my life was really just from my family. Um, my dad has always been a very big Marvel stan. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I think I really kind of inherited that love for Marvel from him. And so has the rest of my family. So the first thing I really remember Marvel-wise was just all of the Avengers. That is just a classic that you can't really, like, you can't replace. It's just so, so good. And, um, yeah, I definitely love Avengers, and I can't wait for the next one to come out. <laughs> Do you want me to spoil it for you? I could tell you the ending right now. No, 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 no. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. I would thank never. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, you are playing uh, an amazing character, Ironheart. What does it mean for you to be the voice of Ironheart? It, it means a lot to me being able to represent so many people of different colors and genders um, 
is something that I really needed when I was younger and I didn't have much of. So being able to be a part of a new generation where I can be that representation for so many people out there is a very big honor to me. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me because Ironheart, she's only been around for two years, but the impact that she's had on so many characters mm-hmm. and, and what you're saying and how important it is for that representation, is it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. So for you, what do you do to prepare for Ironheart? Because she is, she's a superhero. That's the coolest thing. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I just, I put on my superhero hat, I guess. I just try to think of the people in my life who are kind of my personal superheroes. And I try to take a piece of them and bring it into myself and give me that confidence. Because of course, as a superhero, you have to just be that strong, confident, loving person type of character Um, and you have to have that in your voice too especially in animated acting Um, you really have to project that type of emotion and that kind of character into your voice Um, so I just try to really take the biggest pieces of the people that I love into me cool I want to get into the voice acting a little bit but first who are the superheroes for you in your life that you think about when you're working This is the cheesiest thing ever, but they are my parents, of course. I mean, they've sacrificed so much for me and my sister in allowing us to live out our passions and to pursue our dreams. So they really are superheroes to us, and they they are just the best parents ever. Aw. You know what? You say it's cheesy, but it's the best answer. It's really incredible. It's it's wonderful (laughs) to hear. Thank you. So, you know, you, you were talking about what you embody for voice acting. What is the process like for you to voice Ironheart? Voice acting is very tedious. Like I never knew how much work, not just for me, but for everybody that's a part of it, um, how much work that goes into a single episode, a 20 minute episode. And I also didn't know that it's not just about the words, but there's so much more that's added into it. All of the grunt noises, the yells, the battle cries, especially for this type of show, there's so much of that because there's so much action and fighting going on. Um, so you really have to not only show that with the animation, but show that with our voices. So it's weird when there's just like a lot of maybe 10 adults standing around me and I just have to <laughs> grunt over and over and act like I'm getting beaten up or I'm kicking. It's, it's taught me a lot and I definitely will take my voice acting into my live action acting. That's so cool. You know, in, in some productions, I've, I've seen some voice actors work alone. They're solo in the booth. Sometimes you see a show and they, the, the whole cast is together in a room. What's it like for you on Marvel Rising? Well, I kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, For the first part of Ironheart's special, I got to do it by myself, which I think was great because it was really my first time ever um, voice acting, especially for something as big as Marvel Rising. So I really got to just have one-on-one time with the voice director and really know who Ironheart is. Um, But for the second part, for part two, I got to be with a big majority of the cast, which was also such a great learning curve because I got to really just learn from them and see what they do because they've been doing this for years and they know so much, so much more than me. And so I just got to kind of watch them and try to soak in as much as possible. That's got to be so much fun. Um, Have you been able to read any of the Ironheart comics? I have. Um, It's the funniest thing. Right when I heard that I was going to be playing Ironheart, my dad and I went to a comic uh, bookstore and we bought 
all of the Ironheart <laughs> comic books. Um, so of course, like a lot of them are kind of just at our house, like in this little place that is never touched because we they're just too special to us, I guess. But I have been able to read the first main comic book of Ironheart, and that kind of gave me an insight of who she is in the comic books. Yeah, there's a really great series right now. Uh, you and your dad should read it together. It's the the current Ironheart story is really good, and it's, yeah. she's going to school and she's like mm. dealing with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful book. It's written by this woman Eve Ewing, who is just incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I bet your dad is just freaking out about all of this. <gasps> yes, you are right. He is. Oh my gosh, today um, we walked into this room that we're in and um, as we were walking by there's this Iron Man statue and he's like oh my gosh I have to get a picture with it and <laughs> he's like, freaking out and of course it's so cool to me but I'm just thinking about like okay I gotta just have fun today do my best but he's thinking about oh my gosh I'm in this area they have all these Marvel comic books next to me he's totally fangirling um, but it, it really is um, incredible to see him so happy I love it yeah, and, and there's tons of Ironheart, even toys, which is one of the crazy things. It's like mm. she's, she hasn't been around for a very long time, but we have toys, we have statues. Yeah. I'm sure there's, like, clothing and stuff. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize what impact Ironheart had on, I guess, the Marvel community until I started researching more. It's a huge fan base. I mean, so many people just love her and what she stands for and her journey. And so I think they'll really, really resonate with her on Marvel Rising as well. Heck yeah. All right, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure that the listeners know that you have a song that goes with Heart of Iron, Side by Side. Yes, yes, Side by Side. It's really one of my first ever songs that was released. Um, and the support was just incredible. And being able to do that for Marvel Rising was definitely the biggest bonus I could have ever wished for. How'd that come about? Um, well, of course, I've always loved singing, and that's always been something that I really want to pursue. So Marvel just was like, hey, you want to do a song? <laughs> and I was like, uh, heck yeah. Um, and so, of course, then there was just a lot of preparation for that and really trying to get the sound that they wanted. And so I went into the recording studio and we recorded it. We also did a little music video featurette that went along with the song. And it was so cool seeing the final product because they added a lot of animation from the actual Marvel Rising series, which I thought was really cool because it was one of the first times I've really gotten to see the actual characters. Um, and I can't wait to see Ironheart because I haven't been able to see her yet. So oh. just everything coming to life was really incredible and it was a big honor. Awesome. Well, we're, we're glad you're a part of this. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you at Marvel headquarters yeah. real soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Sophia. Thank you. Take care. You Bye -bye. too. Big thanks to Sophia for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, it is now time for our question of the week. Jamie, you have a good one. I have a pretty good one. It celebrates Marvel history and it also celebrates your history and it also celebrates Toy Fair. So this week's question of the week, what is your favorite Marvel toy from your youth or your adulthood? Mm, that's a tough one. We, we did this line of three and three quarter inch figures, the Marvel Universe line, a couple years ago. They were sort of the same size as small G.I. Joe's. And in that line, we created a Sentinel, which is awesome. We also did Galactus. Galactus is one of my favorite characters. So I somehow have two of them. 
from that line, but they're different colors. One was a variant. Mm -hmm. And so I have them at home and a Galactus from my youth that has a little sound chip in them. And they are my little Galactus family. The the two dad Galactuses and the little kid Galactus just has this little place in my home. And it makes me really happy to have them. So I think I would go with them. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. C.B. Sabolsky, can we do a comic? <laughs> I actually have a couple of Marvel toys. My cousin, my awesome cousin, Julia, who I always mention on this podcast, she and her her mom and dad, my aunt and uncle, who are huge Marvel fans, they get me Captain America action figures. <laughs> so I have kind of a couple of Captain America action figures who are still in boxes. I'll say not buried in ice, but in, you know, temperate equivalent <laughs> of blocks of ice. I've got a couple of Captain Americas that... Are about to find their new home. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so you guys, let us know what your favorite Marvel toys are. You can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. You can email them to TwimPodcastAtMarvel.com or you can send a message to our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash ThisWeekInMarvel. And include pictures if you've got them. Yeah, if you got them. Yeah, yeah I'll... I'll Remind me, and I'll take a picture of my Galactus family. Uh, all right, time for our community section. Uh, first up is Karis Pollard. She says, this is getting to be a habit, but my This Week in Marvel of the Week goes yet again to Unstoppable Wasp by the Unstoppable Jerome Whitley with help from Gurihiru. What an issue! Honestly, me and my wife both finished it with tears flooding over our cheeks. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an intense one. Yeah. I've seen a lot of reactions on Twitter about this week's Unstoppable Wasp, and yeah, lot lots of feelings, lots of feelings going around. Uh, I, I, it was an incredible issue, really intense, and I believe Tucker Marcus uh, has a, a piece up on Marvel.com. Yes, with he does, Jeremy. He does indeed. Simon Williams says, reading Ms. Marvel number 38, I'm certainly going to miss G. Willow Wilson and the rest of the original creative team on this book. The work they did has made Kamala one of the top heroes in Marvel today. They made her feel more relatable and gave us a better understanding of a religion and a culture that is often misunderstood in the United States. Well said, Simon. Thank you, Simon. Indeed. He also says it was cool seeing Johnny wrestling on Raw tonight after hearing his interview with Agent M on This Week in Marvel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, great. I mean... I, I don't want to say that we are star makers here at This Week in Marvel, but we're kind of star makers got, here at This Week in Marvel. Did he get the This Week in Marvel bump? I, I think he did. He got the twin bump? Yeah. Uh, Johnny Gargano just debuted on Raw, which is huge, yeah. well-deserved. I am so excited for him. He's incredible. And to see him on the big show as it is, it's great. Simon continues Twim of the Week for 213. Thor number 10. I may not have ha I may not have the best relationship with my dad, but I never wanted to hit him in the face with a hammer. Odin is pretty awful. We do have a post called the Marvel's Worst Dads on Marvel.com. <laughs> so, Simon, if you want to follow the bad dad track, um, you should look for that post. Yeah. Odin's he's he's on there. <laughs> he's the card image. He's the image we used for the post. Yeah. So the Tech Lord says for the 1960s retro podcast, I don't think you should try to cover it in one show. Why not two or three? At least one for comics being published that didn't feature the superheroes we know and love. What different things was Marvel doing that we don't know about? That's a great point, Lex. Uh, part of the, the thing that we struggle with for for doing these is making sure we have access to the comics. Not everything is, is digitized. A lot of this stuff might be, especially when it comes to um, the 60s. It's a little bit easier. We yeah. have some Patsy, Millie, 
comics. We have some Western comics. We have tons of the monster comics. And that was really what 1960 and 61 were really all about. And so we can pull in some of that stuff. And so we're going to be doing, yes, we'll do the This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club with CB. But there's also the pull list, our 60s episode, which will probably have a, a maybe that wider variety. And therein, both of these shows, I'll try to give a lot of background on other stuff that we're doing because I do all this research and I want to pour my brain out somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's also something that I think about when I think of the 60s is also just the social change and the cultural change that was going on and how comics always is a snapshot of what's going on in the world. And so much of that must have been reflected in a decade's worth of comics, like not just the later part of the 60s, but the entire decade. So, yeah, there's lots of like cultural and pop culture references like JFK shows up a bunch in the 60s before he is assassinated. But like there's stuff like that all throughout. So it's yeah, it's really interesting to see. All right. Last one for the week is from Dan Everett, who tweets to me and Lorraine Singh saying, heard about this on This Week in Marvel way back in November. Had it pre-ordered immediately for a Valentine's gift for my own super-powered marathon-running female superhero, Claire. She loves her female heroes, and she loves this book. And Dan gives us a wonderful picture of Claire holding Marvel Powers of a Girl, Lorraine's brand new book, which you can pick up on any comic shop or uh, any bookstore, Amazon, wherever it is. Powers of a Girl, Lorraine Sink. Pick it up. It has uh, it is making people real happy. That about wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back with more next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel, your universe. Your universe.